You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Well, that was a tough one to close out the week. A chance to send Leafs Nation into full-on apocalyptic meltdown mode. Instead, it went against the Jets, a 5-3 loss to Toronto on Thursday night. So we're going to break down what turned out to be a bit of a nasty one, but... Still a pretty entertaining game, as pretty much all Jets-Leafs matchups have been so far this season, so we'll obviously get into that to kick off today's episode. Then to close things off, another food interview coming your way, it's your classic origin story. Husband and wife own a catering company together and learn how to make a 300-year-old cheese recipe with a monk in a monastery here in Manitoba. Oh wait! That's literally never happened before. Chef and co-owner Dustin Peltier stopped by to break down how that story came to be and a whole lot more with their company, Loaf and Honey. So definitely make sure you listen through and hear that one. I mean, it actually sounds more like a National Treasure sequel with Nicolas Cage, which, I mean, I would 1 billion percent pay this, I mean, huge money to go see in theaters. At the very least, we get the Manitoba version of that. With Loaf and Honey, that's coming up in about 10-15 minutes or so. But enough of that, I'll start writing the screenplay tomorrow. Let's get into the reason why you're here, breaking down a 5-3 Jets loss to the Maple Leafs Thursday night. I mean, the game couldn't have started off any worse. The Leafs score two goals within the first two minutes. And look, there were definitely some breakdowns defensively by the Jets on, on both of those goals. But let's be fair, Connor Hellebuck has to stop at least one of the two from Toronto early on. I mean, the first one, yeah, it's Austin Matthews. I mean, the best goal scorer on the planet right now. But it is a clear shot from the top of the circle, short side. Helly obviously cheats. I, I guess he's thinking he's going to go glove for some reason. I think it's fair to say if Hellebuck's on his game, he stops that one, no problems, no questions asked. The second one, I'll give him a bit of a break on that one, just because it was a backhand in close. It was a stoppable shot, though, at the very least. So, I mean, maybe you would like your goalie to stop that one, give your team a bit of a break. And then it was curtains for Helly a little bit later on in the first period, the third goal. You know, that one for me, it might have looked bad from the bench in real time, from the coach's perspective. 
Uh, so maybe that's why he got the pull, or, or maybe it was just a, a feeling from Paul Maurice that it wasn't going to be Hellebuck's night. But that was a tough bounce on a deflection off Jason Spezza. I think the puck might have been going wide, actually. Uh, but either way, I was a little surprised that, that Hellebuck got the pull. We, we've seen Paul Maurice in the past allow Connor Hellebuck to maybe play himself out of an early funk. Having said that, though, Bressois was was pretty solid down the stretch, only giving up one more goal the rest of the game. So, I mean, the decision didn't matter too much in the grand scheme of things. And look, Hellebuck has saved this team's this team's behinds enough times over the past couple of seasons, <laughs> even this season alone, that he's earned an off night here and there. So it didn't help the Jets, but Hellebuck has been, you know, borderline Vesna worthy all season long. I'm sure he's going to have a stellar performance whenever he gets back into the net. The bright spot in the first, at least, I mean, the Jets did tie it up pretty quickly, which, which was nice to see. And I think anybody that that's followed this team for a few years now knows that it's a resilient bunch, so a 2-0 deficit didn't mean the end of the world, the end of the game either. But on both of those goals, to me, the catalyst on the play was Mason Appleton. And I mean, the kid's just having himself a hell of a season. I I have so much time in the world for Mason Appleton and, and watching him play. He's a legit difference maker for the Jets. He's an impact guy. And the fact that he's basically at you know, just under half a point a game and doing so with 14 minutes of ice time, pretty much all of it at even strength as the form of a checking line as well. You can't ask for a whole lot more than what Mason Appleton has given the Jets this season, plus he's an RFA for one more year after this. So at 900K, yeah, he's one of the better bargains on, on the entire Jets team. And, you know, it's it's funny too, because last week we were talking with the Lowry contract you know, what, what the Jets are going to do come expansion draft time. And when we had Frank Saravalli on Tuesday, in Tuesday's episode, I mentioned we're going to see teams make the same mistake they did last time. Probably, right? Where they give up an asset or a couple of assets so a team doesn't pick a certain player on their roster. And I kind of made fun of GMs for doing that. But now I kind of get why they do that. Because Mason Appleton would be up for selection and... I don't want to see him get picked and plucked for nothing. I think there has to be a way, something has to be done here for the Winnipeg Jets to make sure Mason Appleton stays in the fold for next season. I don't know how you do it. And and we'll see if Chevy has a move or two up his sleeve once the offseason finally hits here. But I don't know. He's got, to me, he's got second line forward written all over him. And, and somebody that can be extremely solid defensively for you as he's been this season, but I think there's still some more untapped offensive potential in his game, you know, and, and maybe <laughs> it's funny. They, they didn't suit up on the same line, but Shifley Cop and Appleton found themselves on the score sheet a little bit early on in that one. So maybe Paul Maurice kind of lucked into finding a trio that could work for him either this season or in the future. But for, for me, Mason Appleton is, a must keep and and if it involves maybe giving up a lesser asset to make sure that he finds his way in the fold for next season I'm I'm certainly on board with that and he was great on both of those two goals for me specifically the first one an outstanding forecheck to set up Mark Shafley's first one and then he makes a great pass some great patience as well on the second goal but a real real solid first 20 minutes for Mason Appleton and what's been no doubt about it a major major breakout season for him some other things to get to in the game. Now, I, I sent out a tweet 
nearing the end of the second period, I don't know, it just kind of came to my head. I didn't think it would get a whole lot of traction. It kind of blew up on me on Twitter. Um, but I, I sent out that Stanley and Hainala coming in for Forbert and Ben would be a major upgrade for the next game. And I still think that's true. But it was certainly, you know, laid bare for everybody watching because it was a bit of a tire fire for those two in the game against the Maple Leafs. Now, I'll give Jordy Ben completely the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, he's thrown into a brutal situation. It's his first game with a new team, just been traded, I mean, quarantined, the Vancouver Canucks and the shutdown with COVID and all that. I mean, I don't know if you could pick a more troublesome situation to jump into and, and make your debut with your new club. So I, I'm not even going to get on, you know, Jordy Ben for a, a bit of a rough game that he had, it's, you know, specifically on that second goal, just giving John Tavares way, way too much, you know, not closing the gap whatsoever, giving him too much space to operate with. But Derek Forward struggles just, they're ongoing right now. And it hasn't been a couple of games at this point. We're talking about a month or or maybe months at this point. And he's doing so playing with, you know, the team's most solid and steady defender all season long in Neil Pionk. But Forbert's just having a rough go of it right now. At, at both ends of the ice, to be honest. And he was victimized on the I mean the Mitch Marner goal in particular kind of stood out to me and, and maybe that was the catalyst for thinking about Stanley and Hanela coming into the lineup. Just hitting the puck into nowhere and, and right right up the middle of the ice. Like if you're going to, you know, make a bit of a panic play with the puck and just kind of try to get it out of harm's way at least, you're throwing that up along the boards or off the glass or into the bit, right? Like something along the outside. You never throw it right up the middle of the ice, let alone to somebody like Matthews who sets up Mitch Marner on a bit of a knuckle puck there. But Derek Forward's game has has just gone on a pretty steady decline for a while now. And I wonder if a game like that is maybe the impetus for Paul Maurice to make multiple changes to the defense core. You know, I, I don't know if Jordy Ben plays again for the Jets this regular season, but I have to imagine the the carousel on the third pair besides Dylan DeMello continues. Whether it is Stanley or Hanela, I, I think, you know, one of those two should should definitely reclaim that spot. But I wouldn't be opposed to to putting both the young kids into the lineup, right? I know it's a, a difficult matchup against the Edmonton Oilers, and it's going to be tough to to shelter, you know, both or either one of those. But at the same time, don't you kind of want to throw them into the deep end a little bit? And and maybe it is, you know, Stanley Pionk. If you want to have the, you know, the size, you know, a smaller puck moving defenseman with a bit of a bigger, more physical guy. If if you want to keep that sort of a balance together as a pairing. You give that a go, and then you have Hanela and, and Dylan DeMello together. That That's certainly an option that I would look to if I was Paul Maurice and I was setting up the lineup card for Saturday night against the Maple Leafs and then Edmonton coming up after that. But it does feel like maybe a reset would be good for Derek Forward. I mean, can you just continue to throw him out there and expect something to change at this point? He's... He's just, he hasn't been the guy he was in the first month of the season. There's there's no doubt about that when when Derek Forbord looked like, you know, this might be one of the bargain buys of the entire offseason. It, it's just been a really, really rough go for him of late. And and maybe a reset and, and, I, and a night off would do him some good. 
I don't necessarily expect that to happen, but it would be some kind of a statement by Paul Maurice to give the two youngsters a shot and, and maybe say, and you never know, right? You give somebody like that an opportunity, you know, bigger opportunity, more responsibility, and maybe they grab it and go with it. And you never look back at that point. So I, I would be down for that. We'll see if that's the case, if, if that gets switched up, but I'm not going to be holding my breath on that one. Now the really bad news from the game. <laughs> I mean, you lose the two points. First place might be completely out of the picture right now. But to me, the Adam Lowry injury is, is the big story to come out of that game on the Jets' perspective. First and foremost, a brutal missed call there. I mean, it's a clear headshot. Alex Galchenyuk kind of picks the head, doesn't get too much of the body whatsoever. And, and that leaves to Lowry leaving the game. And the refereeing, I mean, the officiating as a whole was, it was awful in the game, to be honest. I mean, there's there's no way to sugarcoat it for both teams. But it was kind of encapsulated to me. It was a sequence in the first period where Nick Foligno gets cross-checked from behind by Pierre-Luc Dubois. A clear penalty, a non-call. Foligno gets up, pissed off, then goes and runs Morrissey from behind into the boards. Again, a clear penalty. That one doesn't get called. And then for the cherry on top, Pierre-Luc Dubois gets called at the other end of the ice for a bit of a chintzy slashing call behind the player. Like, it, it was just, to, to me, that's that's the summary of, of what's wrong with officiating in the NHL right now. And then that nastiness kind of played itself out through the rest of the game. I mean, there was the Joe Thornton headshot on Matthew Pro as well. And, and thankfully, Pro was able to come back to the game and, and hopefully he's going to be okay moving forward. But back to the, the Lowry headshot originally, should it be a suspension? I, I, I mean, I've always been one to be a little more harsh on these things. And if you have a clear headshot that knocks a guy out for a game and, and potentially multiple games, I'm okay with that being a one-game suspension. But it was just a, an unbelievable miss penalty there. I just, I, I can't imagine how the referees, how two referees, Missed that one. Somebody had to have seen that one. And, and for Lowry to kind of grab the head right away, you knew something was wrong there. I'm not breaking any news when I say that losing Adam Lowry for, for any stretch of time is just a massive, massive blow to this team. I, I mean, even against the Maple Leafs, Paul Maurice is throwing Lowry's line out there pretty consistently against the Austin Matthews trio, right? So it's it's something that the team, I don't think, would be able to overcome come playoff time. Hopefully this was more of a precautionary thing and we see Adam Lowry back on the ice sooner than later. I'm just not going to play doctor. It, it's a potential concussion, no doubt about it. It, it changes on a case-to-case -case basis. So let's just hope that Adam Lowry comes back Saturday night, if not sometime early next week and, and doesn't miss a whole lot of action for the Winnipeg Jets. There, there's not an easy way to replace him, honestly. I, I mean, you, you would throw Andrew Kopp in the middle, I would assume. Or maybe you don't, right? <laughs> I mean, if you want to go pure checking line and, and keep the top six as it is, yes, you would throw Andrew Kopp there and you'd have Kopp, Appleton, Perot, which is pretty solid. But it's not like the second line, Stasny, Dubois, and Ehlers have been lighting the world on fire as of late. So maybe, maybe you have Stasny and Dubois down the middle and you completely reconfigure the middle six. Uh, that's another option for sure to look into. You know, it's funny because there was so much angst earlier in the week. And, hey, I was among the group when Shifley, Connor, Wheeler was reunited. 
I mean, everybody knows everyone's positions on on that line is is set in stone right now, whether you like it or you don't like it. So I'm not going to spend any time, you know, arguing one way or the other. They had a pretty damn good game, though. And, and Blake Wheeler looked, you know, fresh, rejuvenated. Probably the best he's looked all season long, to be honest. And, you know, no surprise. He even said himself that he's he's fully healthy and, and ready to go right now. But I thought the trio played pretty good. So at the very least, you know, it silences all the, the critics and the doubters for one night. Again, I'm, I'm among those. I don't think that line should be together going into the playoffs. Uh, but, hey, let's give credit where credit's due. Shafley, Connor Wheeler had themselves another great night. And, of course, the Colonel himself. That was some deep fried goodness from the Colonel Kyle Connor. Either way, we'll get ready for the rematch Saturday night before a big, big, big time back-to-back against the Oilers. And what's looking like, that's probably the likely playoff preview. So that's a can't-miss event. Jets-Oilers coming up soon. Speaking of can't-miss events... UFC 261 is this weekend, and every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering every single player a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. So if you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is super easy to play. We've gone through it before. You pick six fighters, you stay under the salary cap, and you pile up points for all the chaos in the octagon, advances, takedowns, a whole bunch more. No better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than competing for a shot at millions in total prizes. Plus, if that's not your jam, don't forget basketball, hockey, DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. And as always, DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, it's plates time on the pod, which means another food interview to close out the week. Very pleased now to be joined with the chef and co-owner of Loaf and Honey, Dustin Peltier. Dustin, how's it going today? Pretty good. Pretty good. And yourself? I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I want to get right into this because... Look, I've heard a lot of wild background origin stories on how restaurants and companies got started here in Manitoba, but I don't know if anybody can really compete with learning how to make a 300-year-old cheese recipe with a monk and a monastery here in Manitoba. Can you just kind of explain how that whole process got started for you and your partner? Yeah, we um, like I we were both in the industry. We were both chefs and, and been in the industry for 20, 20 years each, roughly. Um, we kind of were uh, kind of getting jaded about working some places or being told that we could kind of support local or or do this or do that and and kind of go to a place and then they're like, oh well, no, you just you know make for make food out of a can. So. We kind of decided that you know if we wanted to do what we wanted to do 
um, we were going to have to do it ourselves. So we started a catering company and um, I was working at a golf course. So I had some downtime. I'm, you know, can, am good around butchery and stuff. Uh, my wife, Rachel is a baker as well. Um, so we were like, okay, well, what else while we're, we've got a little bit of downtime while we're doing this, what else can we kind of do? And, uh, I've been using brother Albert's cheese in the, in restaurants where I was for, for a few years. And I remember reading articles on how he wanted to teach people and, but nobody, nobody's going into to being a monk anymore. It's kind of a dying, a dying art, um, or profession, um, so we didn't know how to get there. We didn't know how to get a hold of them. We just found the address, and it was uh, an October morning on Monday, and we drove out there cold. Had no idea. Um, it was raining. We got there, and we got. Where there. is it, by the way? So they they closed down the monastery, but they were in Holland, Manitoba. So there was okay. only five monks left. The brothers were all in their eighties, so they they've kind of retired, so to speak. Um, so they've just sold the monastery about six months ago, actually. So we were like, okay, we'll get there early. It was two hour drive. So we got there by 10 o'clock. There was a sign on the door that says open at two. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we're like, now what do we do? Um, so we, we just started designing some menus in the parking lot. Uh, we went to the, to Holland. There was a little corner restaurant and we had some breakfast and, and whatever. And then, uh, we get back there at two o'clock, brother Albert, 10 after two, he starts walking by and just, he just opened up right to us. He was like super happy and we were talking to him and we asked him if he was willing to teach us. And he was like, he, he wanted to know about our family and about us. And um, he's like, I can't teach Rachel because she's a woman and the, the cheese facility was in the back quarters of the monastery and women aren't allowed like nuns aren't allowed in the back monks aren't like so that's you know so but he was very adamant that I went home and taught Rachel he's like I just can't do it but he wanted he, he had nothing against her learning or doing it so we kind of set it up and we didn't it we didn't go there with the intention of becoming cheesemakers we just thought it would be cool to make cheese and and as chefs to kind of have this little kind of secret that we have, can do that you know nobody else is doing um but hearing his story and his passion and and the story of the cheese and the history and like this cheese has been made in manitoba for over 100 years and and all of like all of these things and just finding out that no one else was doing it and he was the last monk that was traditionally making this cheese in the world and like, cause even the monks in Europe have now been pasteurizing. So they're kind of updating. So we were like, we've got to do something. So we kind of looked more into the numbers and, and everything else. And we kind of took the plunge and kind of four years later where we ran into a, a couple hurdles along the way, we'll, we'll say, uh, without going too much into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we built a small little cheese plant. We just finished our expansion um, kind of three months ago. So up until then, we can only hold 60 wheels. We can now hold 500. And I just put in, we just finished a batch today, and we've got 240 wheels aging right now. So 
Wow, that's I mean that's great, and it sounds I mean it sounds like the start of a movie, just the process of of meeting the monk and learning the secrets and everything like that. So I, I guess just what is what is the process like? It, it sounds like it's maybe a little more hands on than a traditional cheese making process might go. Like, what are some of the differences between how cheese is normally made? So we're we're doing it more like a lot more traditional so a lot more there's like we've got we put we hand put we've got milk and jugs that we get it we we put it in the kettle we hand stir it um a lot of a lot i mean we we are able to do that because we're a small scale and you know if you're making a thousand wheels in a day it's just not you know something that's feasible so like we make 240 liters of milk which gets us 12 wheels so we hand cut the curds we we toss them we hand wash each wheel of cheese every day so that 240 wheels of cheese sitting in there they're about five pound wheels so every day i do i do 240 curls <laughs> so my so my one arm is a lot better the other one just wrote i just yeah. off like like uh, like mr miyagi <laughs> like mr miyagi yeah there we go um and the other so one one is one is the defense and one is just doing curls. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we age on wood planks. Um, so everything is done by hand. So it's a lot more, um, it's a, a little bit more labor intensive, um, but it gives us the opportunity to kind of inspect every wheel every day. Um, and it's just, that's kind of what we want to do is, and that's why we got into it was to stay true to that method and that history and, and everything else so so what does it taste like is it is it similar to a different kind of cheese it's it's got a good it's got a little bit more of a funk it, it's kind of to, to people that aren't really into cheese or know a lot of different ones i kind of give it as like a really aged sharp cheddar and a gouda kind of you know it's it's got a little bit kind of more pungent it's a it's a stronger kind of cheese. So we were originally doing it with raw milk. Um, that's kind of part of the the headache that we ran into with with kind of the local powers that be and and kind of everything else. So we've taken a step back and we're low, using a low heat pasteurized. So the raw milk cheese that gives you like this barnyard like stinky feet kind of <laughs> that if you like it you love it right. But it's 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 not for a beginner level person. So we found that the pasteurized, um, it, it's a little bit more approachable and, and to kind of get into people that aren't kind of, you know, into that big, crazy, you know, stinky kind of celery, you know, kind of cheese. So it's a really versatile thing. Like we do cheese crisps with it. We'll like Rachel made a, a cheese, an ice cream with it. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, like we did a we did a pop up at Barnhammer a couple years ago when we were kind of doing we did like a five course meal and we did like we did a, a the ice cream and then we did their grandpa's sweater and so we did a float. Interesting. Yeah, and it I mean it goes great on burgers and pastas and kind of everything else. So, and, and you sell the is it called Trappist cheese? So no, we can't call it Trappist cheese. Okay. Um, I didn't want to become a monk, so I couldn't. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> you see, my wife, I didn't, I didn't want to give her up, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> the cheese is good, but the cheese, the cheese is really good, but 
um, you know, uh, so so we call it Golden Prairie. So, okay. And then you sell that at different, uh, you know, cheese providers and markets and things like that, that people can grab it from? Yeah. So we've got a list on our website and then we've got, you know, there are a few different uh, cheese cheese wholesalers in or cheese mar- things like DeLuca or um, Donardi's, Cheesemongers, Crampton's, uh, Preserve Store and a bunch of kind of few other ones. So, um, yeah, so we kind of sell that. And then we're at Cramp- or, uh, St. Norbert's Market online, their online orders. So. Well, I'm definitely picking up a brick after this, so I'm I'm getting in and I'll try to figure out pizza burgers, where it fits best on. The other cheese that you've also branched into making, I'm a huge sucker for, and I think it's one of the best pizza toppings out there. You can use it for whatever, but you you started making whipped ricotta now. Yes, so, and that was another kind of Rachel's grandma. It was something that they used to make. When, when Rachel was a, was a kid. Um, so it was based on kind of her grandma's recipe. I mean, ricotta, everybody, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a secret recipe by any means. Um, it's a, it's, it's like a farmer's cheese. So every culture has like a fast set, quick cheese, paneer and, and whatever. So this is kind of based on, on Rachel's grandma's kind of interpretation of it. Um, and then we've got, yeah, four different flavors. So we've got the plain, the herb and garlic, which goes great on pizzas. Um, the lemon dill goes great on, on chicken dishes and stuff. My favorite is the honey jalapeno because I like the little, little yeah. Yeah, that's my jam. That yeah. that that's going on a pizza slice immediately. <laughs> All right. So I mean the cheese is a huge part of what you guys do. And it, again, it's just such a cool story. Um, I, I don't want to say it's your specialty, but uh, catering, whether it's large groups, small groups, things like that. I mean, is that more of your bread and butter and, and where you put a, a decent amount of your energy into? Yeah. So I, like, I, like I said, me and Rachel have both been in the industry for, for 20 years. Um, so we kind of, before everything happened, we were doing a lot of farm to table dinners, trying to promote local farmers. Um, we were doing like for a couple of years, we did like a hundred person dinner at Watersong Farms by Warren. And we would do like a five course meal with all local producers. We had picnic tables, we had a band set up, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then private dinners at home, you know, 10, 12 people in, in someone's house and, and whatever. And then uh, we've also been doing a lot of kind of pop-ups at the breweries. Um, I think the breweries, we're trying to emulate kind of what the breweries are doing. You know, 10 years ago, there was only half pints. And now look, you know, where yeah. our industry is i mean they're they're winning awards are doing and and we really think that the cheese industry in manitoba can kind of do the same thing and i like beers so i mean it, it works <laughs> it works great for yeah. us to have a couple of beers whenever we do a pop-up so i was gonna say people people that are listening to this can't see right now but dustin's i i hate to narc on you but you're crushing a barn hammer brew right now right that's right i got i got a little sneak belly I got a little sneak. So right now uh, we're prepping. We got a pop up at Barnhammer uh, on Friday and Saturday. We're doing a mac and cheese one. So I, I had I picked up some extra beers to throw in some of the dishes. So I had to crack one. So yeah, yes, yeah. See, you know, you know what to do. You're a smart man. You're you're picking your spots and you're tasting the product at the same time. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the pop up that you guys have coming up this week, and it sounds delicious. Um, you also run. Well, maybe let's go back to the catering because you don't really have a set menu per se. You do some, you know, unique, creative menus for people, whether it's different, you know, allergies or whatever it may be. 
Um, what goes into creating, whether it's a five course menu or for a dinner party? Like how do you guys kind of come up with different creations? Um, yeah, so we don't like, we don't, we've, we actually even took our, our kind of menu that we have off of our website. What we do is like, we'll talk to the couple if we're doing a wedding, you know, what are, you know, what's, what's a dish, you know, that reminds you the two of you of, of a special occasion or what's something that, you know, one of you had as a kid that, you know, your grandma, you know, was a special thing or, you know, this or that, like we just had to pull kind of ideas from them and then we design menus for the event. So we always try to like, we never try to, you know, do the same thing because every couple is different, um, you know, and then, I mean, and there's different allergens and food preferences. So it's, we kind of just have our scribble board and, and kind of, you know, here's our, here's our points where our dislikes and, and, you know, some happy memories or, you know, um, so that if, especially for weddings and, and especially right now, we've done a few where we're now the full entertainment because you can't mingle, you can't dance. So um, we've done kind of where the food becomes more of a star. And, you know, food a lot of times in weddings is kind of how do you get it, how do you get it on and out of the way so you can get to the drinking and the dancing, yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, is, you know, that's what we're there for. But um, that's what we really like you know, is, is making it a story and, and well, this is where it came from. This is kind of the farmers that we got it from. Here's kind of the story of, of how they raise their animals or, or grow their, their vegetables. And, and we kind of try to highlight things like that. So. I mean, yeah, it sounds amazing. And it's so interesting too, how you have to pivot and everybody has to pivot right now during the pandemic. And another uh, element to your company that you do that you've kind of switched up as of late is the classes the demos the different cooking experiences normally i believe you would do in person but now you offer different virtual experiences right we've we've done we've done a couple yeah so we were doing kind of like uh pre-made like we would package all the food have it ready or, or give you a shopping list and you go pick up and then we would do like a zoom meeting kind of demo cooking class you know stuff like that so it's when, when everything started last year, we were doing frozen meal prep. Like we we changed our catering business model like five times in the last year, and yeah. just trying to pivot and and whatever. And and I think everybody kind of has had to do that to kind of survive. So you kind of kind of roll roll with what's happening at the moment, right? It's hard to kind of plan two months in advance. Yeah. Everything's changing kind of weekly. So yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I saw you had a Valentine's Day one. A few months ago, I mean, that's the perfect wheelhouse for a date night. Um, Mother's Day is coming up. I don't have a gift yet. Are you planning anything for that? Can you help me out a little bit? Um, we may do some baskets. Um, we're a little like Rachel is actually just taking the chef's position at Pine Ridge Hollow. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So we're so I'm kind of doing a lot more cheese stuff and then focusing more on kind of uh, the brewery pop ups and some small caterings. But uh, I think I'm gonna try to pull a couple baskets for Mother's Day. We'll see. We'll see how much more time I can pull out of a day. Yeah, so. yeah. That's just me being selfish. So don't don't. Yeah, I'm not, I think I, don't I really hook you up with a one off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have you have my contact info. So even yeah. if you wanted to just sell one of those, I'd be yeah. forever in your debt. <laughs> I can get you a good cheese and, and spread basket for you. Her, oh yes, <laughs> you're a lifesaver. Well, yeah. we'll start with that then. Perfect. 
Um, now you touched on the pop-ups. Um, maybe how, when did you start doing those? I know you did a taco one uh, either a week or two ago. You got one coming up right now. When did you start maybe transitioning more towards pop-up events during the weekends? Well, we, we kind of always did them. Um, like I said, uh, when we kind of started, we were doing we were doing more like five-course dining. At, like we did them at Barnhammer, um, full-plated meals. And, and then we had those kind of went away because we can't kind of do those and stuff right now. So with kind of the breweries just opening up and, and people having to eat food and having to have food on, on whatever. So we've went away from the bigger ones. So like, yeah, we were at Stone Angel last week and doing like six, $7 tacos. And then we're at Barnhammer this weekend doing like eight, $9 mac and cheeses. So you're not, I mean, people are going to the breweries. They want to have a beer, right? Like, and they don't like, you know, so we're trying to have something light and quick, but you know, still fun and, and whatever. Like I got, pork belly and, and brisket smoking right now for, for the mac and cheese. So it's not just, it's not, uh, it's not the mac and cheese you had when you were a kid, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, so we, you know, I got pickled jalapenos. And so we're having kind of some fun flavors. So yeah, we're going to do that. Um, Cinco de Mayo is coming up. So we're going to do a different uh, taco one at Stone Angel again on the fifth. And then, uh, yeah, I like got, we've got a big kind of commercial smoker. So nice. I'm gonna. We're playing with doing some smoked wings at a couple of the pop-ups, and you know, buy a buy a beer and a six pack of, or a six six wings, and kind of have some fun flavors, smoked wings. So we'll kind of play with those. So yeah, all of this is right up my alley. So I, I'm coming to the one this weekend, and you already sold me on Cinco de Mayo. Nice. Um, the mac and cheese one's coming up uh, this Friday, and then this Saturday as well. Is it at Barnhammer? And like you touched on there, you've got a brisket and a pork belly cooking right now. Just maybe give our listeners the information for the mac and cheese pop-up that you have and, and when and where they can come uh, taste out your flavors. Yeah. So we'll be at Barnhammer on wall street. Um, we're there Friday from four till nine and we're there Saturday from three till nine. Um, you can do pick up and go if you want, if you're kind of, everybody's more comfortable kind of staying at home or, or in their backyard. Um, so you can grab a, grab some beers and, and mac and cheese, or you can kind of stay in and, uh, they've got a, a little patio and in, in the inside. So there's room for people in there too. So. Awesome. Well, Hey, I, I'm not going to keep you much longer here, Dustin, because you got the, the two big meats cooking there in the smoker. So I'll, I'll let you go right away, but we ask all of our guests this before they leave. And I'm fascinated to know what your response is going to be because you've got so many different things up in the air. But we've got a huge Jets Leafs game tonight. What would be the loaf and honey perfect version of a game day meal, whether or not it's with the cheese or not? When you think of game day meal, what's the first thing that kind of pops into your mind that you'd uh, try to whip out for us? I, it would be nachos and wings. I mean, like... You know, I would uh, I would probably use some I'd probably do some smoked pork belly um, and make some nachos with some, like pickled jalapenos, uh, like some of our cheese shredded on there, uh, and you know, kind of go to town on that big platter of that, and then yeah, just a big platter of wings and and a case of beer, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the case of beer is mandatory. Beer is, is in there. So Are yeah, you okay with wings? What's that? Are you a sauce guy with wings? I, I back and forth. My like my dirty kind of pleasure is like dry Cajun and Frank's hot is kind of like a toss in there is is kind of what I like. 
Okay. Um, but like I've got, we did a smoked, I got a smoked jalapeno and pineapple sauce that we made as mm. well. So I, I do like, I like sauce and a little bit of blue cheese is kind of where I'm, you know, but, and I like a crispy wing. Like I don't like yeah. a breaded wing. I'm not, I like, I like nice crispy, no breading. I, I don't want to taste, you know, flour. I just want, you know, that chicken. <laughs> hey, yeah, we're, I'm not going to fight you on that one. And I can't wait when you have a chicken wing pop-up coming up sometime soon. I'll have to head down for that. Hey, look, man, this was a blast. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, before you go, Dustin, just let our listeners know uh, where they can contact Loaf and Honey, where they can buy any of your products, and uh, any other information you want to throw out there. The floor is yours. Um, yeah, so you can find us on Instagram, Loaf and Honey, on Facebook, uh, Loaf and Honey. Our website is loafandhoney.com. And then uh, we've got kind of loafandhoney at gmail.com is, is our kind of our general email. And then we've got one for cheese and catering, but we can, you know, that's that's kind of the general one and we can kind of go from there. So. All right. Well, hey, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, we'll make sure to get a bunch of people out Friday, Saturday at Barnhammer Brewing for the mac and cheese pop-up. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well, that does it. Again, thanks to Dustin and make sure to head down to Barnhammer Brewing for the loaf and honey mac and cheese pop-up Friday and Saturday. Help yourself out and Start the weekend off right with some, I don't know, pork belly and brisket goodness. Either one of those and mac and cheese and a brewski. I don't know if it gets any better than that. We're back at it on Tuesday, guys, with a pair of games to break down. Like we mentioned, one against the Leafs, one against Edmonton as we head into the stretch run. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. A quick reminder, subscribe, leave a review. All that jazz on whatever podcast platform that you use. We really appreciate it. But until next time, which is Tuesday, I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki, and this has been another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Peace!